You are listening to African Perspectives with host Brother Oshi on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Yeah, 
listening to African Perspectives, where we review the issues of our day from an African worldview and African-centered perspective. This program is unapologetically African. It is a custom in the African tradition to ask elders for permission to speak, having been granted permission to our ancestors whose shoulders we stand on, to our elders whose shadows we walk in. I greet you, my dear brothers and sisters in the language of one of the greatest civilizations on this planet. It gave the world the basic disciplines of knowledge of science, math, architecture, music, writing, law, religion, you name it, we did it. The Greeks called it Egypt, but they called themselves Kemet, and Kemet means land of the blacks. I greet you all in the Kemetic language, the word of peace, Hotep. It is truly an honor and a privilege to pour libation because we truly do stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. We're going to use water because water has no enemies. Water is the great cleanser, the great purifier. Everything on the planet that lives, it needs water from a tiny microscopic organism to a tall redwood tree. We pour water into the earth to invoke the spirits of our ancestors, and we say the word ashe. It simply means, so be it. So we pour this libation to God. For all that God has done and for all that God will do. We say, we pour this libation to Mother Africa, birthplace of all humanity, everyone who has lived, everyone who will live in the future. We all have a common ancestral root in Africa. We pour this libation to the classical civilizations of Africa. I mentioned Kemet in the opening. Kemet was the height, the apex, the zenith of African high culture. But there were others as well, as Tymeri, Punt, and Nubia. So we poured us libation to the classical civilizations of Africa. 
We poured us libation to the contemporary civilizations of Africa, of Ghana, Mali, Zangai, Benin, Great Zimbabwe, civilizations that were flourishing and growing while Europe was in a medieval or dark age. The University of Sankare at Timbuktu, an outstanding educational institution. So we poured us libation to the contemporary civilizations of Africa. We say, Ashe. We poured us libation to the Ma'afa, the holocaust of our enslavement, the Infakani, the great tragedy, uprooted out of Africa. Our brothers and sisters lay a carpet along the Atlantic Ocean. We're in North America, South America, Central America, and throughout the diaspora. So we poured us libation to our brothers and sisters who suffered the Ma'afa, the Infakani, the holocaust of our enslavement, the great tragedy. We poured us libation in their honor and in their memory. We do not know their names, but because of them and their sacrifice, we are here. So we sashay. We poured us libation to those who fought against enslavement. If you ever heard me do a libation, you will know that we were not slaves. I repeat, we were not slaves. We were captives. What does a captive want to do? Get free. So we poured us libation to all those men and women who fought against enslavement. In fact, I maintain that some of us are more of a slave today than we were in our initial captivity because some of us are a slave to vice, to corruption, to drugs, sex, and violence. So we poured us libation to those who fought against enslavement. Gabriel Prosser, Nat Turner, Denmark Vesey, Harriet Tutman. We always resisted and we will always resist. So we poured us libation in the name and the honor of those men and women who fought against our captivity. We poured us libation to those unborn, those young men and women who will once again lead us back on the stage of human history as a free and proud and productive people. We sashay. We poured us libation to brotherhood and sisterhood together for the union of family. We need each other. We don't have good family life. There's a saying, conditions shape conduct and consciousness. The conditions in our community are bad. The conduct towards each other is not good. Because why? We lack consciousness. And consciousness is more than just awareness. Consciousness is a deeper understanding of who you are historically, who you are culturally. So once we begin to understand the importance of brotherhood and sisterhood together for the union of family. Brothers and sisters, let us all say, Ashe, Ashe. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. Good morning, African world. You are listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on timeforanawakening.com and blacktalkradionetwork.com. And I am your host, Baba Oshi. Hotep family. Hope everything was well with you today. Hope you had a great week. (laughs) Hope you had a great weekend. Hoping you had a chance to do all the things you wanted to do, should do, must do, can do. More importantly, will do. Hoping to weather was accommodating, but of course, if it's not, it has to be done. It must get done. Then you will get it done. 
It is the well. This is African Perspectives. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., 10 to 12 Central, 9 to 11 Mountain, or 8 to 10 Pacific, any other time around the world. But if you cannot listen to this program live, you can always go to our archive at timeforanawakening.com. Top of the page, you'll see podcasts. Click on that. The drop down, you'll see African Perspectives. Click on that, and there will be programs that are dated and titled. Also, too, we can use you the shortcut, whatever search engine you may use. Internet Explorer, Firefox, whatever, Google. Time for an awakening. And then uh, put in the search, babaoshi.net. Babaoshi, B-A-B-A-O-S-H-I dot net. And then, then once again, programs that are dated and titled. This is African Perspectives. We appreciate you being here and other programming that we have on Time for an Awakening. I listened to Elliot last night. Good program with Brother Lumumba, and he did announce um, the Geronimo Pratt, Glen- Geronimo Pratt Gun Club on Thursday, and uh, he did announce Saturday the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine. So I'll, I'll talk to Elliot to see if that's the fact, so I can announce that. I know they don't announce me. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot does. He announced me on, on uh, Friday and Saturday. Of course, I always announce him because that's what we're supposed to do. This is the network, right? Exactly. So, <laughs> this program every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then, of course, um, on Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time for an Awakening with Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. And on Sunday at 7 p.m. Time for an Awakening. And then I'm going to call. It's 215-490-9832, 215-490-9832. We buy black. We buy black, the largest online marketplace for American African-owned businesses. is webuyblack.com. Get everything you need from American African-owned businesses. is webuyblack.com. All the products that are sold there, brothers and sisters, go to webuyblack.com. Africa for the Africans. Brother Bamani Tahimba is getting ready to take group of our people November 16th next month November 16th through the 27th to Tanzania then December 24th to January 4th 2024 to Azenia March 29th to April 9th Liberia 2024 July 11th through July 23rd 2024 Ghana November 21st to December 2nd 2024, Kemet. December 24th to January 4th, the same dates, but 2025, Azenia. April 1st to April 11th, Senegal and Senegal and Gambia. April 1st to April 11th, 2025, Senegal and Gambia. And of course, everything is on the website all the things that you need to make a trip of a lifetime, the paperwork, the visas, shots, all of that. But if you want to see pictures, go to facebook.com forward slash Bomani. If you want to see videos, go to youtube.com forward slash Bomani 2007. And you can give them a call at 404-931-9429. That's 404-931-9429. Africa for the Africans.org. Have a shot.
Habasha Incorporated, brothers and sisters, they are doing the work here at home and abroad. The Kashi Project, which they unveiled, not this past October, been over a year. This is October, ain't it? No, it's not this October, but last year. The Kashi Project was unveiled in Ghana. And, of course, um, the programs that they have here locally, which is, <coughs> excuse me, Habasha Works. Back, black to our roots, black to our roots, sustainable seeds, golden growers, and their urban green jobs. Habashawincorporated.org. The Ledge Group, Land for the Environmental Development of Group Economics. They work in the areas of human necessity, of, of human importance, the things that sustain human beings, which is food, water, clothing, and shelter. They have 12 projects, six different countries in, in, on the continent, with over 170 employed and over 260 members. Brothers and sisters become a member of the Ledge Group. Smy Pharmacy. Smy Pharmacy. S-M-A-I-F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. Smy Pharmacy. Give Brother Jabril a call at 770-765-7751. That's 770-765-7751. Drop him an email at smypharmacy at gmail. Smy Pharmacy. S-M-A-I-F-A-R-M. A-C-Y at gmail.com. The Moses West Foundation. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to try to get uh, Moses West on the program again. Give me an update of what's happening, how things are going. Him and Brother Apollo know the great works that they're doing. Tremendous works that they're doing. You know, providing water. The elixir of life water. You can live days, maybe even weeks without food but you can't live days. Maybe two or three days, three days, four at the most, without water. Without water. And they provide clean drinking water. Usable drinking water. Water sustains life. You can grow things with water, just water aquaponics when the soil has been destroyed through whatever means drought and so forth water for the Moses West Foundation I'm asking for all the things that I ask you brothers and sisters to do to the programs that I announce here every Monday, Wednesday and Friday unless there's some reason that I don't you know I'm asking to donate to all of them I know that's impossible, but pick and choose. Truly, the atmospheric water generator, the AWG, created by Brother Moses West and the Moses West Foundation, is truly worthy. They all are. All right. <laughs> uh, yep. Wadada's Healthy Market and Juice Bar, located in the West End here in Atlanta, right up the street from me on Ralph David Abernathy. Delicious smoothies and fruit drinks and health food, dry goods, all kind of stuff. Vegan dishes on Sunday and uh, Saturday and Sunday. They sell vegan dishes. Yep. Wadada's Healthy Market and Juice Bar. Give them a call at 404-444-1635. 404-444-1635. Healthy Market and Juice Bar. The Medu Bookstore in the Greenbrier Mall. Mama Nia. Yes, good sister. She's got a fine selection of books, postcards, greeting cards, T-shirts, figurines, and so much more. Give her a call 
at 404-346-3263. 404-346-3263. If, you, if she doesn't have the book, she'll get it. And she probably already has it, believe me. And she has a bigger store uh, in the Greenbrier Mall right there on the main strip. Yeah, Mama Nia. And also, too, she has access to the downstairs where they have book signings and presentations and all kind of stuff. Man, she's vital in our community. As is Brother Gazimde Ajamu at the Black Dot Cultural Center and Bookstore and Coffee Bar in Lithonia, which is east of Atlanta. Just take I-20, go east, exit 74, Main Street in Lithonia, make a left. Now you're headed north, and on the left will be the uh, Black Dot Cultural Center Bookstore and Coffee Bar. And they have the red, black, and green shoes. They have all kinds of books. If he doesn't have the book, he'll get it for you. The delicious coffees that they sell. One Cameroon Boyo, delicious teas and so forth. And they have apparel. Jump back in the ride. Head back the other direction. Now you're going south. Make a left onto I-20 again. Going east. The next exit, exit 75, Turner Hill Road. Make a right on Turner Hill Road. Three lights. Make another right. And on the left would be the new Black Wall Street Market. The new Black Wall Street Market. Oh, you know what I didn't do? I didn't give a phone number to Brother Gazimdia Jamo at the Black Dot. 770-305-6373. 770-305-6373. Black Dot. There's light in the Black Dot. Us lifting us to economic development cooperative for our people in the spirit of Ujamaa. Their Thursday night broadcast every Thursday night from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. on Blog Talk Radio. That's right, blogtalkradio.com forward slash ULU. If you want to call to give questions, comments, or concerns, dial 929-477-2789. That's 929-477-2789. Us lifting us. Homeland Village and Cultural Gift Shop located in Macon, Georgia, closed on Monday, but from Tuesday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Tuesday through Sunday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Brother B just got it going on. Give him a call tomorrow or sometime this week at 478-256-1166. 478-256-1166. If you're in the Macon area, stop off and check Brother B out at 2910 Napier Avenue in Macon, Georgia. All righty. Sun Goddess Sense, your one-stop natural shop located uh, 4140 Jonesboro Road in Forest Park, Georgia, inside the International Discount Mall in Booth 225. Shelly Amund said is the person to check out. That's right. Check my good sister out. at. Four. Give her a call at 404-434-7963. That's 404-434-7963. Sun Goddess Sense, your one-stop natural shop. Sanjay Dash, Haiti. Brothers and sisters, Sister Gabby is doing the work in Haiti, in the northeastern portion of the island. Sanjay, S-O-N-J-E dash A-Y-I-T-I dot org. Sanjay dash Haiti dot org. Ah, yeah. Baba Baruti and Mama Yah. Talked to him the other day. They're doing fine. Huh? Definitely will be... Uh, That's it. This Saturday, that's right, Power and Practicality, this Saturday, November 4th, from noon to 2 p.m., $10 donation for Warriors 
$5 for warriors in training. That's right. This, this is the quarterly men's gathering. This gathering will be live stream only. Make your $10 donation for warriors and $5 for warriors in training to PayPal, Yabrudi at Yahoo, or Cash App, dollar sign, Yabrudi. Put in the pertinent information, power and practicality, your name and your email address so they can send you the link for brothers. For sisters, Mama Inia is having Embracing African Womanhood Part 2. Saturday, this Saturday, November 4th, from 4 to 6, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Same thing applies with PayPal, Yabrudi at Yahoo, with Cash App, dollar sign, Yah in Baruti. Your name and your email address so they can send you the link. All right. Kabuka, the book you can get uh, from Akaban House. Available at www.akabenhouse.com. A-K-O-B-E-N-H-O-U-S-E.com. And all the other books that are available. Saturday, November 18th. Coming up, family. Saturday, November 18th. I'll be out of town, unfortunately. Oh, man. Conference in Nashville. But I tell you, having attended the Kabuka presentations, it's, it's, it's solemn, it's deep because we're remembering the past remembering the middle passage through the eyes of our ancestors remember being taken walking hundreds of miles hundreds of miles from the interior of the parts of Africa to these dungeons to be transported across the ocean the coffer lines and then packed in like sardines November 18th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern. Families, $20. Couples, $15. Adults, $10. Young warriors, 5 Yeah. The Kabuka Lecture and event. So there'll probably be some more on it. And uh, same thing applies. I'll tell you more about it. As I get that information, and of course, Baba Rudy will be on before um, Kibuka. It was the 18th. He'll be on the 13th. That's Saturday, so he'll be on that Monday, the 13th. Looking forward to it, and it has been confirmed. So, family, we in the mix. We in the mix. Ashe, Ashe. The Inya Sassim. The Inya Sassim. Daily revolutionary thought. Yeah. Love the Inya Sassim. Daily revolutionary thought. October 29th. Once you make up your mind to cross a river by walking through, you do not complain of getting your stomach wet. African proverb. There are so many forces working against us being African. And one of them working against me, if I need my glasses. <laughs> there are so many forces working against us being African that it can become so easy and even relieving of those not truly dedicated to being themselves. 
to impatiently complain about what they consider to be undue hardships and slip into a less demanding psychology. Difficulty has never been an issue for those of us who know that to be anything other than our African selves is insanity. And insanity is to be avoided by any and every means necessary. In fact, we are on a life quest of struggle. Yes, we are family. For those of us who are African, we are on a life quest of struggle because we know that only in this way will the path to our most ancient, uncompromised selves become clear. Now become clear, family. Affirm, I struggle toward the knowledge and way of truth without complaint. Affirm, I struggle toward the way of knowledge and the way of truth without complaint. October 30th. The more invasion is accentuated and those invaded are alienated from the spirit of their own culture and from themselves, the more the latter want to be like the invaders, to walk like them, dress like them, talk like them. Pablo Freire. Intellectualizers are those who talk with the well-read skills of an academician, but who do so only for self-grandizement and argumentation. Intellectualizers act if their words are not guided by the politics of those who pay play them, especially when their words serve as entertainment for their benefactors. One of the most important defining characteristics is that they do not act on what they argue or they believe that their ramblings or their debates they engage in is actually our liberation battles. No. Negro intellectualizers have well studied and internalized Eurasians. They have mastered the Eurocentric interpretations of reality. They have spent an enormous amount of time and energy trying to convince people of Eurasians' correctness using as many theories, assumptions, and convoluted logic as possible. It is neither a thinking or political presentation because their words are not designed to transform our people into more critical thinkers. If this were to happen, intellectualizers would no longer have a place. Therefore, their words are meant only to impress others with the wealth of their European intellect. The politics of their words follow the dictates of the powers that be, even when they appear to be fighting them because their survival is dependent on the alms of those powers. Alms. The money. See the poor alms. Affirm. I am no intellectualizer. Affirm. I am no intellectualizer. Brothers and sisters, the, the, the inspiring words of the Inyasasim of daily revolutionary thought. Got a lot of good stuff today. Yeah. But first, I want to give a birthday shout out. A birthday shout out to a brother. Yesterday was his birthday. And uh, he used to listen when I was on Blog Talk Radio. That's how far back we go. You know, I've been here nine years now. Wow. I started the radio program when I got here. In fact, I started before I got here. Brought it with me. You know. 
brother Felix. Today is it. Yesterday was his birthday, so a special shout out to him. Because one thing, brother Felix, always understood. If you free your mind, your ass will follow. That's right. I appreciate brother Felix for it, man. You have a blessed day, brother Felix. Enjoy your birthday yesterday or your weekend and continue on today, my man. Peace to you, dear brother. Continue to listen. In fact, I want to get you on here and so we can get that free your mind and your ass will follow. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Because <laughs> that's the deal. That's what this program is about. You know? Liberating the African mind. Freeing your mind. So your ass will get in step. Thanks, Brother Felix. God bless you. Happy birthday, dear brother. Peace. <laughs> yeah, man. Brother Felix. You know, one thing I was going to talk about, I'm, I'll probably deal with that Wednesday, is the African population that is constantly growing on the continent. The continent is the youngest of all the places on the planet. That's why the continent was not as hard hit from the COVID because we have a younger population. And if they just are healthy enough, get their ass out in the sunshine, get that vitamin D, and, you know, don't involve themselves in a lot of, you know, <laughs> but what happened? In this country, a million people died in Europe, constantly in Europe, because they're old. They have preconditions. But what is I... But what am I saying about the population of Africa and its potential? We're going to talk about that on Wednesday. We're going to talk about that on Wednesday. Because things on the African continent that need to happen are starting to happen. Kick them crackers out. Kick them Arabs out. Kick everybody. Slow the roll on Chinese marrying African women. All of this has to be looked at. We need a central we don't need all these so-called bullshit 54 sovereign nations, which are not. We need Africa to unite. All of the great minds of Africa said this. Nkrumah came in on it. He, yes, it was Ghana, but he understood it ain't about Ghana. It ain't about Nigeria, Cameroon, South Africa, Namibia, whatever. It is about Africa uniting. The piece, the piece I play all the time about Africa uniting <clears throat> to maintain all the resources. We have, listen, let me say this. Yes, I will always be down with reparations <clears throat> because for them to do what they have done to us and continue to do what they have done, you know, they, they, need, to be, they need to be checked. You know, there's no doubt about it. Reparations are truly due. I'm not down with getting money you know, and and the way things are now, I I understand there's some brothers and sisters who have lived in poverty for generations. I understand their plight, and you know, but still, it is not about giving them some money so they can buy a house, buy a car, stimulate the economy. No, brothers and sisters, it is about putting that money together for education of our, of our people to prepare them to do the work of nation building, of nation building. 
having our own. Trying to grasp these sons of a bitches for a damn thing. To compete with everybody else. When you have the resources that we have, ha, compete. We kick ass. If we control them. And we will. And we will. Um, so we're going to talk about that on Wednesday. But we're going to talk about Palestine. Um, Brother Mickey Dean sent me a nice piece. Uh which is a deep dive, deep dive, a history of African-Palestinian solidarity. And my good brother, the Ted Lusk, sent me a piece on how Israel was created. We're going we're gonna to play the first piece, how Israel was created. And uh, then we're going to play the piece on the solidarity between Africans and uh Palestinians. Okay. Did I, did I do something here? Okay, I just got I hope you know what may happen. I tell you. The technology I've been messing up sometimes. You know, my my heart's in the right place though. My heart's in the right place. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so this is the history, which I've talked about previously, previous programs, Theodore Herzl, Simon Ben-Gurion, all of this, 1947-48, and, you know, all of it, how, it was, you know, how they just took it and did, dogged them out. But here's a clear understanding, you know, and then we're going to play the piece of the solidarity between Africans and the Palestinians. It's another piece that needs to be discussed. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I hope that you'll listen and join us in the conversation, you know. Yeah. Join us in the conversation. Okay, you're listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on timeforanawakening.com and blacktalkradionetwork.com. On November 2nd, 1917, Britain's Foreign Secretary, Arthur Balfour, wrote a letter that would set off a conflict still being fought more than a hundred years later. His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object. When Balfour wrote of his government's intent to create a Jewish homeland in Palestine, 90% of the people living there were not Jewish. Just 31 years later, most of them were gone. This is the story of the British promise that led to the destruction of Palestine and the creation of the State of Israel. Let's start with the obvious question. Why were the British making promises about other people's countries? Short answer, empire is one hell of a drug. This was World War I, and the British were making lots of promises. 
In addition to promising a Jewish homeland in Palestine, they promised Arab leaders independence if they rose up against Britain's enemy, the Ottoman Empire. The Arabs did. Hollywood even made a movie about it. Arabia's for the Arabs now. That's what I've told them anyway. That's what they think. That's why they're fighting. Oh, surely. A month after Balfour's letter, British troops took Palestine, ending 400 years of Ottoman rule. The people who lived there were Arabs, mostly Muslims, but there were Christian and Jewish minorities too. There was also a tiny number of European Jews who in the late 1800s had started building small colonies there. At a time when many Jews were suffering horrific persecution in Europe, they felt Palestine could be an escape. The idea of building up a Jewish presence in Palestine became known as Zionism, but it stayed a fringe movement among European Jews. Many of them felt they shouldn't have to leave their countries to avoid persecution. But Zionism as a political movement took a big step forward with an Austrian man called Theodor Herzl. And this guy is a very important name in this story. In 1896, he published Der Judenstaat, or in English, The Jewish State. In it, he said, the only way for Jews to avoid Europe's anti-Semitism was not just to leave, but to have their own country. And Herzl didn't just write. The next year, he organized a conference in Basel, Switzerland, the first Zionist Congress. The attendees agreed on a program which sought, among other things, to establish a Jewish homeland in Palestine and promote Jewish settlement in Palestine. From here on out, the Zionist movement became very active, setting up funds to promote Jewish immigration to Palestine, companies to buy land there, and recruiting representatives to advocate for their cause with different governments. A few days after the conference, Herzl wrote this in his diary. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. In five years, perhaps, and certainly in 50 years, everyone will perceive it. He was only off by one year. Okay, so that is a lot of history, but it's important because the Zionist movement is a critical part of the story going forward, especially after it found a friend in the British government, where a lot of high-ranking officials supported Zionism, sometimes for unexpected reasons. Prime Minister Lloyd George, for example, was a Christian zealot who believed gathering the Jewish people in Palestine would bring Jesus Christ back to earth. Others, like Balfour, believed that getting the Jewish people out of Europe and into their own country would be a good thing. Herzl was pretty visionary when he wrote that the anti-Semitic nations will become our allies. Meanwhile, the Zionists assured Britain that their future country would be a reliable ally. So that's the backstory of how European anti-Semitism, Zionism, and British imperialism all led to the Balfour Declaration, this British promise to build a homeland for Jews in Palestine. Now we're going to look at how Britain did that. World War I had been a conflict between rival empires, and the winners set up the League of Nations to distribute the losing side's territories between them. They called it the Mandate System, putting territories once controlled by the Ottoman and German empires under the, quote, tutelage of advanced nations until they became independent. Hmm. Britain was given the mandate over Palestine, but the Palestinian people were never asked what they wanted or what independence would look like to them. Listen to what Balfour wrote to one of his colleagues. For in Palestine, we do not propose even to go through the form of consulting the wishes of the present inhabitants of the country. 
Instead, it was the Zionists who were consulted about what their vision for Palestine was. And so the mandate ended up incorporating not just the Balfour Declaration, but several clauses requiring Britain to ensure the establishment of a Jewish home in Palestine. British rule was very accommodating to the Zionist project. The Jewish community in Palestine grew with big waves of immigration. They had their own schools and factories and even their own militia, the Haganah. And they were led by the Polish-born David Ben-Gurion, the leader of their representative body, the Jewish Agency. To the Palestinians, it was clear that Britain wasn't delivering them independence. It was delivering their country to other people. In 1936, they went on strike. British forces tried to break the strike with arrests, torture, mass punishment, and executions. Leaders were exiled, weapons confiscated, and houses blown up. Palestinian fighters attacked British and Jewish targets, while British and Haganah forces would carry out joint raids on Palestinian villages. Something had to change. The British government sent a commission called the Peel Commission to figure it out, but their proposed solution was typical. Just draw another British line on the map, divide the country, give this part to the Jews and this part to the Palestinians, and make that part of Transjordan next door. Oh, and because the Palestinians were a majority in the country, 250,000 of them would have to be removed by force to make the Jewish state viable. Remember, these were the proposals that were meant to calm things down. Spoiler, they didn't. Instead, the revolt continued until 1939, by which time about 10% of Palestine's adult male population had either been killed, injured, arrested, or exiled. The British government really needed a solution. So, here comes another report. The commission is studying the 20-year-old Jewish settlements in British-mandated Palestine. The 1939 white paper created a conflict between the British and the Zionists for the first time because it rejected partition and said the solution was for Palestine to gain independence within 10 years with everyone living there sharing it together. Crucially, it also imposed severe limits on Jewish land purchases and immigration. To the Zionists, this felt like a betrayal. In response, some set off bombs across the country, killing dozens of Palestinians. But soon, everyone was distracted by something much bigger. More than 60 million people were killed in World War II, including 6 million Jews murdered in Nazi death camps. Jewish survivors fled Europe, with a large number of them trying to find safety in Palestine, despite the British limit on Jewish immigration. This set off a more direct confrontation between the Zionists and the British, with Palestinians often targeted as well. The Zionists knew two things. Militarily, they were stronger than the Palestinians. And Britain was exhausted by World War II, so it wouldn't have the stomach to keep fighting in Palestine. They were right. In 1947, after 30 years of occupation, Britain announced it was quitting Palestine and asked the newly formed United Nations to clean up its mess. All right, 1947 and 1948 are the most pivotal years in this story. So let's take a look at how things are lining up. During British rule, Jews had gone from 10% to 30% of the population and owned about 6% of the land. Under Ben-Gurion's leadership, the Jewish agency was pretty much functioning as a government for the Jewish community. And the Zionist militias had tens of thousands of soldiers, modern weapons, and officers who'd already fought in World War II. On the other side, the Palestinians hadn't been allowed to develop their own administration or military. But as they waited for the UN solution, they were still the majority all over the country. 
In November 1947, the UN, then only made up of a fraction of the world's countries, voted to partition Palestine. This plan marked off 55% of the country for a Jewish state. But the UN never explained how it could be a Jewish state when half the people in its territory were Palestinian. To nobody's surprise, Palestinians, and in fact all Arabs, rejected the UN's plan. Ben-Gurion and the Zionist leadership accepted, but they saw an opportunity. With the British on the way out, the Zionists knew they would have the strongest military in Palestine. Their forces were instructed to seize more territory than they'd been awarded by the UN and to do what was necessary to reduce the number of Palestinians in it. In cities like Haifa, the militia set off car bombs in Palestinian neighborhoods. They attacked villages and forced residents out. Haganah troops have driven the Arabs out of the beleaguered city, taking many prisoners. After inspecting parts of western Jerusalem that have been emptied of Palestinians, Ben-Gurion said, In many Arab neighborhoods in the west, we do not see even one Arab. If we persist, it is quite possible that in the next six or eight months, there will be considerable changes in the country and to our advantage. One of the events that helped speed up these changes took place on April 9th, 1948, when the village of Dir Yassin was attacked. A British government report to the United Nations describes the scene. 250 people were killed in circumstances of great savagery. Women and children were stripped, lined up, photographed, and then slaughtered by automatic firing. The story of what happened at Dir Yassin set off panic all over the country. As news spread, people fled, fearing they would be next. Historians have recorded dozens of similar massacres during this period. Each time, they would result in entire communities fleeing. By the time Britain ended its mandate on May 15, 1948, 250,000 Palestinians had fled. The night before, David Ben-Gurion announced the founding of the State of Israel, with himself as its first prime minister. He was standing under a giant portrait of Herzl, 51 years after Herzl had predicted this very moment. The Zionist militias came together as the newly formed Israel Defense Forces, but the fighting wasn't over. With the British out of the way, soldiers from several Arab countries entered Palestine. But the Israeli army was better equipped, better organized, and unlike the Arab armies, had a unified command and backing from several European countries. Israeli forces pushed into places that the UN had assigned to the Palestinian state, like the towns of Lidda and Ramle. 50,000 people were forced to flee from there, many on foot, in what became known as the Lidda Death March. After being emptied, the towns were given Hebrew names, Lod and Ramla. Like in many other empty towns, the buildings and homes were taken over by the new Israeli state and given to Jews. By the time the UN secured an armistice, three quarters of the Palestinian people had become refugees. In Arabic, they call this the Nakba, literally the catastrophe. The new state of Israel made up 78% of what had been Palestine. The remaining parts were annexed by Jordan or taken over by Egypt. A year later, the UN passed a resolution calling for all Palestinian refugees to be allowed to return home. They never have been. Palestine had been erased. 
In the decades since, attempts to resolve this conflict have again tried to partition the land. With each successive attempt, the territory offered to Palestinians in their historic homeland shrinks even more. Ironically, Israel is still struggling to maintain the population advantage it gained in 1948 when it forced all those people out because in 1967, it occupied the West Bank and Gaza, bringing all the Palestinians living there under its rule. And so today, the population of Jews and non-Jews in this land is roughly equal. But those living under occupation have no rights, no citizenship, and no prospect of independence. The Nekba-era tactics of settlement, home demolitions, and expulsion are still used against them. Israel has taken the land but wants nothing to do with the millions under its rule. International, Israeli, and Palestinian human rights groups say this system is a form of apartheid. To see if that's an accurate description of Israel more than 100 years after Balfour's promise, watch this video here. Yeah, brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah. Apartheid. Yeah, they um, they did a damn good job of modeling apartheid. And of course, uh, Israel's been in South Africa. They have a clear understanding, of course, here in this country, looking at how we were relegated to certain areas of cities and certain areas of, of, of land in the South and so forth and made to share crop and convict leasing because these European Jews who can't say a damn thing about anti-Semitism because the people who they dogging out the Palestinians are Semitic they are not and they have no right historically religiously in no way to that land these are the Ashkenazi there are three kinds of Jews. There's Falsa, which are the original Jews. Most of them are African, coming out of Ethiopia, all the way down to South Africa. Sephardic, those are the Jews that swept across North Africa and were in Europe at the same time that the Moors were. In fact, they were kicked out of Spain the same time that the Moors were kicked out as well. And then the Ashkenazi. The Ashkenazi are the late converts to Judaism. They are the ones now today who dominate and control Judaism, who dominate and control media, who dominate and control banking, who dominate and control the movie industry, who dominate and control diamonds. I have zero, zero, not a notch of sympathy for these people and what they have done to us as African people. The main export in Israel is diamonds. The main import in Israel is diamonds. Because why? They don't have any diamond mines in Tel Aviv. Israel comes out of South Africa. Oppenheimer. De Beers. De Beers. The movie industry. The caricatures that they made of us. How they made us look. Louis B. Mayer. Metro Golden Mayer. Jack Warner. 
all these paramount all of these european jews good movie to watch fellas brothers and sisters good movie to watch ragtime with howard rollins and debbie allen moses gunn cole house walker good movie because what it shows in that movie at the turn of the century of ragtime how people can maneuver within American system and those who can and those who cannot and we know the story but check it out the story deals with a Caucasian man who's upset that his wife is being photographed or painted nude and he shoots the man in a fit of rage I guess so he's committed his wife she goes on and she meets she's out out west you know they started the movie industry the European Jew this call may be recorded or transcribed the European Jew who was living in New York busted his wife having relationships with another person another man threw her stuff out he kept his daughter on a leash so she wouldn't get away through all of the they were living in the quote ghetto of New, of New York so he took his daughter and they moved out west he was always interested in movies in fact there's a line that you know, sometimes there's a movie that you watch and and, and there's a line, or a, a statement or a saying that you never forget in that movie. And for me, it is, there is no end to what you can do with the photo play. He was doing these drawings. Each page, the caricature would move a fraction, a fraction, a fraction. So when you flip them, you see the movement. He was interested in movie making. European Jews dominate the movie industry to this day. To this day. European Jews dominate the media. Electronic media and print media to this day. And how the movie industry made us look, the characters, the cockatures, bucked eyes, big lips, ignorant, slow, dumb, scared of your own shadow. No images of us. Probably the only dignified image of us was uh, Robinson. Um, the brother played in it'll come to me and if somebody can help me go ahead and help me <laughs> yeah you know he was always dignified in the movies that he made but I'm saying is that these people these European Jews who now are about to kill all of the Palestinians that are left in Palestine. And you heard 
or was in Palestine prior to David Ben-Gurion, Theodore Herzl, the Belfort Declaration, all of that happening. You know, why couldn't they have given, it was Germany that killed supposedly six million Jews. I say that supposedly not in any disrespect because if they killed one, that's sad and true, tragic. But the bottom line is, why did the uh, League of Nations give a partition of Germany to European Jews? Why couldn't they have done that? Well, of course, they wanted Jerusalem. They wanted the, they wanted the, the religious tie and all the other things that come from the theology, predictions of the theology. Because for Christians, you know, uh, and I was reading this way back in the 80s when, because supposedly uh, 1948 and 1988, 40 years, there's supposed to be all kinds of predictions that are going to happen after 1988. Of course, they didn't, you know. But the bottom line is that these prophecies that were supposed to happen, all this shit that's supposed to happen, hasn't happened. And brothers and sisters, it ain't going to happen. Okay? Let me get it together here so we can uh, go to the second half of the presentation that we're going to do. But check this out, family. We're going to uh, take a break. And when we come back from the break, we're going to have more conversation on this subject. I know uh, for some of us, it's, it's very touchy, you know. Number one, you are trained to um, support Israel. This country does, European countries do. They support Israel, many of them unconditionally. And then when you see what happened in the situation, how it happened, you definitely in support of Israel. So it's because supposedly 1,400 people were massacred. Supposedly how Israel has always kept an eye out and a sharp, keen eye and all their surveillance and so forth. But somehow all of these Palestinians were able to come in and and, and just start slaughtering people. So now 8,000 8, have been killed. 1,400 uh, European Jews but 8,000 Palestinians, they're going to eradicate them. That's what they're saying. And, and I believe what's going to happen, family. They're going to ask some Arab country to take these Palestinians in, give them a homeland area. The European Jews are going to give them some cash. The United States will give them some cash. Europe will give them some cash to make it happen. So Israel only has Israeli citizens. There is no more Palestine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No more Palestine. We're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, more discussion. Also, too, um, the the, uh, piece that Brother Mickey Dean sent me, the piece that I played before, that's Brother Ted Lusk. Love him. 
out of Montgomery. That was a good piece. I mean, history of how Israel came to be and how the European Jews, through all of that, European Jews made it happen. How Israel was created. And then we're going to go to deep dive, a history of African and Palestinian solidarity. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on timeforanawigny.com and blacktalkradionetwork.com. We'll be right back. You stay with us. You are listening to African Perspectives with host Brother Oshie on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com.
Hancock, Chameleon, from the Headhunters album, 50 Years. It came out this weekend in 1973, 50 years, Herbie Hancock. Yeah, that's deep, ain't it? <laughs> 50 years ago. Yeah. I think that's kind of like the really the piece that uh, it became like crossover. I shouldn't use that word, but more known because Herbie Hancock is a jazz artist. Like many other jazz artists, you know, it's like Roy Ayers, you know, was a jazz artist and he became more <coughs> known or commercial, so to speak. You're listening to African Perspectives here on the Motherland Media Network on timeforanawakening.com and Black Talk. Oh, wait a minute. I should have played that, shouldn't I? My bad. Here we go. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. Yep. <laughs> okay, family. You know, chalk it up to my head, not my heart. My heart's in the right place always. The piece I played to you earlier that uh, Brother Lust sent was uh, Al Jazeera. I used to love watching Al Jazeera. They won't come on anymore, but you can catch them sometimes on uh, YouTube. Go to YouTube. You can catch a lot of that stuff on YouTube. You know, Al Jazeera. And I thought they, you know, everybody has slants. Anywhere from Fox News to CNN to MSNBC to the others, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, whatever. And, of course, African news. (laughs) But I thought they did a good job in being objective. And, of course, that's a good history that I just played for you. So hopefully you'll keep that or go to uh, Al Jazeera. See what you can go to to get that information. Yeah, YouTube. You go to YouTube and get it. It British promise how e how Israel was created. How Israel was created. We're going to play Deep Dive, the history of black and Palestinian solidarity. I know that um, a lot of times the Arabs, Palestinians, moved into our communities, disrespected our women, disrespected our communities. You know, even though they came in as Muslims, but they sell more pork than a little bit, loose cigarettes, beer, don't give a damn. <laughs> Make money off the community. You know? I remember when I was at the NACP, I was selling ads for the Souvenir Ad Journal. You know, that's the big thing for a lot of organizations because if you have a good Souvenir Ad Journal and you sell a lot of ads, you'll make a lot of money. And so uh, I approached these two Cats and you say, oh, well, we already give. No, you don't give. Don't give shit. Uh, shed a lot of light on it for me. You know. They they take from the community, they give nothing back. 
is all of them. The Indians from India. I don't know about your community, but in many communities across this country that in a city that we're predominant in, we don't control nothing. In Milwaukee, uh, no shit, here. We don't have a supermarket here. You know, we used to have a number of supermarkets in Milwaukee. I don't think that we have them now. I, I know Lena's is gone. I know they only have one service station. The sister owns on, for those in Milwaukee, 8th and Atkinson. And they don't have one here in the city of Atlanta. And and because Atlanta purports itself to be so progressive and a great place for us, and yet we don't have a supermarket. (laughs) Yeah. We don't have a mall. When I moved here, I was living in DeKalb County. Now I live in Fulton County, which the majority of Atlanta is in. There's a good portion of Atlanta in the DeKalb County as well. And I was living in DeKalb County and uh, in Tucker. And I was going to this clinic because even when I moved here, I had a rotator cuff issue and I had knee issues. I got the rotator cuff fixed and I got knee replacement. But in that community are the Indians. They have all kinds of stores. And they have a mall. They have a strip mall. In that strip mall, they have restaurants. They have takeout. They have a supermarket. They have a convenience store. They have a furniture store, of course, a jewelry store, apparel. Not one of those stores is vacant. I haven't been by and seen it in a number of years, but that's when I first moved here, nine years ago. And we don't have one in the city of Atlanta. So don't tell me that Atlanta is Wakanda. Atlanta ain't no damn Wakanda. Atlanta is just like every damn place else. Except that there's a few folks who are doing some things in Atlanta because of their ability, their education, and so forth. What individuals do? What individuals do is weak and pale in comparison to what we could do collectively. What we could do if we pool our resources and began to love one another, trust one another, believe in one another, work with one another, grow and develop with one another. I'm going to play this piece and then we'll have further conversations. Just hold on. I want to once again thank Brother Ted Lust and uh, and thank Brother Mickey Dean. Get Mickey Dean on here. You know, he's with the National Black United Front. Very progressive minded brother. Appreciate him and what he brings to the table. Deep Dive, a history of African and Palestinian solidarity. Don't you In 1977, reggae legend Peter Tosh released the song Equal Rights, demanding freedom for a number of African nations, but he also mentioned another country. Right. 
Saint George Jackson, a Black Panther, writer, and revolutionary, was killed by prison guards in 1971. Two poems were found in his cell. They were translations of resistance poetry by the Palestinian poet Sami al Kazim. Peter Tosh and George Jackson's connection to Palestine are just two examples of a long history of solidarity between black liberation and Palestinian self-determination, two struggles that have been in dialogue for decades. In 1964, Malcolm X published an article in the Egyptian Gazette called Zionist Logic, in which he drew parallels between the oppression of Palestinians and Africans. Instead of seeing it as a religious conflict, Malcolm saw Israel as a colonial project serving a wider imperialist agenda, saying European imperialists wisely placed Israel where she could geographically divide the Arab world. In the same year, Malcolm was one of the first African leaders to publicly meet with the Palestine Liberation Organization. As anti-colonial struggles gained traction through the world, freedom for Palestinians became a touchstone for the international fight against imperialism. As black freedom movements expanded their worldview to situate their struggle as part of a global anti-colonial movement, Palestine also became an important focal point of their solidarity. On August 15, 1967, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee released a position paper entitled "The Middle East Crisis," expressing support for Palestine and criticizing U.S. support for Israel. Organizations such as the Black Panthers argued that freedom would never come for black people in America unless all oppressed people were free. The Panthers frequently spoke of black communities and their relationship with police as living under occupation as internally colonized people. They were vocal in their support for Palestine and met with the PLO in Algiers in 1969. In his 1972 essay, "Take Me to the Water," James Baldwin wrote about leaving the U.S. But refusing to go live in Israel, saying, "And if I had fled to Israel, a state created for the purpose of protecting Western interests, I would have been in a yet tighter bind. On which side of Jerusalem would I have decided to live?" Muhammad Ali also declared his support for the Palestinian struggle, marching for Palestinian rights and visiting a Palestinian refugee camp in southern Lebanon. In 19. In 1979, Reverend Jesse Jackson met with the PLO and pushed for the U.S. to deal directly with the organization in pursuit of a peace deal. Just and lasting peace is inextricably bound for a state for Palestinian people and the recognition of the PLO as the government in exile with which our nation must negotiate. This was a significant shift in support for Palestine, moving from radical groups to more mainstream figures who were able to lobby for shifts in U.S. policy. Ten years later, Jackson would find himself in an audience in Harlem as Nelson Mandela addressed a packed town hall. As far as Yasser Arafat is concerned, I explained to Mr. Sidney that we identify with the PLO because, just like ourselves. They are fighting for the right of self-determination. 
Like Mandela, Archbishop Desmond Tutu drew global attention to the plight of Palestinians as being parallel to that of black South Africans under apartheid. The inhumanity that won't let ambulances reach the injured, farmers tend their land, or children attend school. This treatment is familiar to me and the many black South Africans who were corralled and harassed by the security forces of the apartheid government. Mandela made a historic trip to Palestine in 1999. Choose peace rather than confrontation, except in cases where we cannot get, where we cannot proceed, when, where we cannot move forward. Then, if the only alternative is violence, we will use violence. A statue of Mandela stands in the occupied West Bank city of Ramallah, a gift from South Africa to the people of Palestine. His grandson, Mandla Mandela, continues to be an outspoken critic of Israel. Release all political prisoners. We want to say to the Israeli government today that give the six million Palestinians living in exile their right of return. It's not possible to talk about global black solidarity for Palestine, without discussing black Palestinians or Afro-Palestinians themselves. Some Afro-Palestinians trace their roots to the land as far back as the 12th century and are descendants of Muslim pilgrims who went to Mecca for Hajj and then settled in Jerusalem. Others are the descendants of those who migrated from places such as Nigeria, Sudan, Senegal, and Chad. Some of them came to Palestine specifically to fight against British colonialism and Zionism. The second, third, fourth generation, if you ask us to identify ourselves, we say we are Afro-Palestinians. We were born here, we grew up here. The community is deeply rooted in Jerusalem, with a long history of involvement in the Palestinian liberation movement. Ali Jidda is a leader of Jerusalem's Afro-Palestinian community, who served 17 years in Israeli prisons as a member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. The African community used to be always among the avant-garde. For example, the first Palestinian female to be put in Israeli jails came from the African Quarter. This was Fatima Bernawi, a Palestinian of Nigerian descent who served 10 years in Israeli prisons. Released in a 1977 prisoner exchange, she was the highest-ranking female member of Fatah. The first Palestinian killed during the Second Intifada in 2000 was Osama Jidda, an Afro-Palestinian shot on his way to donate blood. Hip-hop artists have also referenced and stood in solidarity with the Palestinian struggle, including Lauren Hill, who famously cancelled a Tel Aviv concert in 2015.
built It's mathematics with Nate Go to Palestine and build a wall around the people And call it Israel, now what's real? Speaking of America, stating the president With all due respect, I've got something to say to them I just find it funny you can't give a hand to Palestine But you can trade whole arms in Saudi Arabia So don't wait past the minimum It's a real millennium I'll have to hold a gap in your back like Palestinian And it's a struggle worldwide, I'm positive Shit, the ghetto minds love me, the Gaza Strip Same for my father, born in Ghana Down on that dirt road floor Far as he came, I can't complain But pain is so subjective Spend so much time counting issues I forget to count my blessings This video for Vic Mensa's single, We Could Be Free illustrates the clear parallels between life under Israeli occupation and life in over-policed black communities in the U.S. Following the death of Freddie Gray at the hands of police in Baltimore in 2014, uprisings began around the U.S. And as police reprisals escalated in Ferguson, Palestinians took to social media to show solidarity with black communities as well as sharing protest tactics. And we started getting tweets from Ramallah, and they were like, run toward the wind. You know, stand closer to the soldiers because if you stand close to the soldiers, they won't tear gas you because then they can get tear gas. You know, wrap this shirt around your eyes as a kind of makeshift gas mask. And they, they had been protesting in the West Bank against what was happening in Gaza. Many have also drawn attention to the cooperation and joint programs run between the Israeli military and U.S. police forces. I remember learning that the same equipment that they use to brutalize us is the same equipment that we send to the Israeli military to police and brutalize Palestinians. Like the Black Panthers, groups like the Dream Defenders and Black Lives Matter continue to push for solidarity with Palestine within an internationalist framework. When Israel attacked Lebanon in 2006, renowned writer Toni Morrison signed a statement with other public intellectuals, saying the attacks were a distraction in order to divert world attention from a long-term military, economic, and geographic practice whose political aim is nothing less than the liquidation of the Palestinian nation. Mark Lamont Hill was famously fired from CNN for saying this at a United Nations function. Local action and international action that will give us what justice requires, and that is a free Palestine from the river to the sea. Dr. Cornell West also claims that his vocal opposition to Israeli occupation may have led to him being denied tenure at Harvard. But the sacrifice of black radicals, scholars, and intellectuals in shifting public attitudes on Palestine has not been in vain. Mainstream solidarity with Palestinians is clearly growing in Western countries. In 2021, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Cori Bush, and others all expressed unwavering support for Palestine during Israel's attacks on Gaza, an unprecedented show of solidarity in the history of U.S. Congo. That means we oppose our money going to fund militarized policing, occupation, and systems of violent oppression and trauma. We are anti-war, we are anti-occupation, and we are anti-apartheid, period. Welcome back. Yeah. Yeah, family. <laughs> the Jews are the problem. <laughs> yes, my brother. Ayo uh, Kamati, the Jews are the problem. Yeah. And so now, because of what went down a couple weeks ago, and it's firmly. In my mind, that it was allowed to happen, so they can go ahead and eradicate 
the Palestinian people from Palestine. And no longer will they be a Palestine, but the Israel state. Gave you some historical context and some information that is relevant up to this point. And uh, so just be prepared. That's my contention. Just be prepared, family. Do what we can to be prepared. We're going to take some calls. Give us a call at 215-490-9832. I think that, um, you know, Western society, because of how they can shape imagery and they have the messaging more so than what Arabs could do, even what communism can do, because they can gather information presented on these news channels which they control, develop movies which they control, imagery which they control, to give you the appearance and the the illusion of their suffering and gain sympathy and justification for it to happen. You won't feel bad about it. You know, you won't feel bad about it. 443-443, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Baba Oji. What's up, Brother Irv? How you doing, man? Have a good weekend, man? Oh, man, I had a fabulous weekend. It's always good to hear your voice. I um, I attended the uh, National Black Radical People's Convention. I think that's what it is. I, I right, think that's what it, right. I, I hate to get it. But it, it what was, was your impression? Man. What was your impression? Uh, my impression of it was, was it, it's an offshoot of the convention they had in Indiana back in 72, I think, um, where the uh, all the uh, black people got together and formed an agenda. And it was um, anytime you, you talk about something that is anywhere near a nationalist mindset, anything you talk, anytime you talk about something that is non-inclusive of white people, uh, it's, it's going to be poorly attended. And, and I'm going to tell you why. Because most black people in this country, American Africans, let me say that because I did use that term there because I want to uh, uh, deprogram myself from using that that other term. Uh, Anytime you have that, we're connected to Caucasians in every aspect of our lives, our food, our clothing, our shelter. Everything comes from white people. We don't airplanes, trains, boats. We don't own any of that. So everything's connected to them, even our livelihood. So when you go against anything that white folks do, you have you should be cautious about it and know that there's a price to pay for what you say. If there is freedom of speech, but there's the consequences of speech. If you notice, you never hear what you just played on this on this show. You don't hear that on on TV. You don't hear that on the radio. You don't hear that on the black stations, the white stations, because they understand how powerful the spoken word is. The spoken word changes your mind. Your mind changes your conduct. Your conduct, when your mind changes, your consciousness changes. Then you start to think different, and you look at things 
from a global perspective or, or you step outside of where you are mm-hmm. and not live in the moment and look at the big, the big picture right. of what's going on. And the lady was absolutely correct. The same tactics that were used here in this country against the Native Americans is the same tactics that they're using in Israel. It, it's colonization. And, and you can see it if you step back and look at it. Right. So now, nah, brother, when you play those things, you, you give people something else to think about other than uh, the, the status quo, the narrative that's being pushed down our throats. Because if you look at TV, Israel is just fighting for their survival. No, Israel is fighting to be dominant. That's what Israel is fighting for. Uh, the brother, the brother, Irritated Genie was at uh, the Kunta Kinte Festival. He was speaking about that this morning, and he had his book out, uh, Jews Are the Problem. Three Jewish people made a complaint. He, t- he had to take his book down. He didn't have to, but he didn't want to mess up the festival for right. all, the, all the so-called Negroes that were there right. with their Caucasians that they're married to. He didn't want to mess it up for them, even though they had another book down there called The Color Purple, which was which promotes lesbianism, you know, because they've made homosexuality a normal. Mm-hmm. If you say something about homosexuality, it's something wrong with you. It's not something wrong with another man uh, having sex with another man. It's something wrong with you because you don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's not the way this works. You know, not for me. So Baba Oshi, you know, I want some other people to get on. You know, I could talk forever about just about anything. But what I want to but what I want to say is don't accept the normal that is given to you by your oppressor. And I call mm-hmm. white people the oppressor because they, they are, are oppressing us and That's we can't even we don't even want yeah. to see it because it it's painful. Mm-hmm. Baba Oshi, I don't want to every time I get up I got to we got to fight. Man, we always got to fight. Everything's off. But nobody got energy for the whole fight thing. But, Baba, brother, believe that you're in a fight because if right. you run around here thinking That's you're right. an American, and uh, really quickly, uh, Dave Chappelle was performing. I've heard this on the radio, and someone s- hollered out, Shut the F up, Dave Chappelle. Well, supposedly they said it to another person, mm-hmm. and, that, and that Dave Chappelle heard it. And Dave, because he said something, he's ready to go in on, he's, I'm ready to go in on the Jews, you know how he talks, and he said, he said something about the Jews. And then he said something that, was, that I never thought about. He said, the Jew, you come to, and when he believes he's an American, so he's going, to, he's going to say this type of language, you come to our country and want us to send money to fight for your, for your country. And I thought about that, Baba mm-hmm. Oshi. The Jew came here as an immigrant. Mm-hmm. He can, and he's using our tax dollars yes. to fight for yes. a country that he took. Yes. I told you. I told you the Jews were pimps and we the hoe. I told you that. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That is unreal. Yeah. And what and what other people can do that? Other than the Ukrainians. They we fighting for them. Uh, ooh, the, uh Afghans the Afghans have a big presence here because we went over there for twenty years. We no. we went over no. there. Master, no. we went. Yeah. And fought over there for 20 years, but that wasn't a fight. No, and and that was and, economics. That was the America got more out of that than you can. But sure. the but the price that was paid was the lives of these young men who think they're fighting for democracy. Right. See, there's different types of democracy, right. Baba Oshi. The, the real democracy ain't nothing what they're practicing uh, 
in this country. It's nothing what they're practicing in in over in Africa. The the, the, the when you got a hand in your back that's telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. You know. So no, Baba Oshi, it's it's interesting when you when you speak about it, and they don't want you to talk about it because the more you talk about it, Baba Oshi, the more clarity we get. Yeah. And that's why I tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to uh, uh, African Perspectives so that I can get clarity. I'm not going to get this anywhere else. No one else is saying what you're saying. They're saying what different things, but no one is saying it the way you're saying it. No one is it, it, it's slow because we've been slow walked into where we are. We didn't wake up one day and two men on TV kissing and grabbing each other on the booty and humping on each other. That didn't happen uh, overnight. overnight. No. We were slow walked yeah. into it. Yeah. And so that's what's going to have to happen now. We have to deprogram ourselves. We have to uninstall. And I keep saying it, uninstall this operating system that we're working under. White folks ain't going to help you. Jesus ain't coming to save you. No one's going to save you. Know your history. If you know nothing else, read and know your history. Don't read one book. Read a bunch of them. Get a whole bunch. It's, it's, man, we got whole bunches of people. Uh-huh. Rocco, we got Dr. Henry Clark, we, you a got bunch. Francis Quest Wilson. Read a bunch of them because they all didn't talk alike. They all had their own thoughts on what was going on. But, but the one thing they knew for sure is that we have a common enemy. That's right. And that enemy is racism, white supremacy. I hear you. And all therefore, right. we can't have justice. So let me... Bobby, let All me right. get somebody else okay, on. Okay, brother. I'll talk to you. Hang on. Hang on. Appreciate you, Irv. Brother Paul. How you Good doing, your brother? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you, I'm sir? doing well, sir. Well, it's good to hear that. You know, uh, at this moment in time, we just like to say, as I always do, we just give thanks for life and appreciate every second of it. And it's always a good to hear this commentary. And, uh, you know, Brother Irv said a lot of very progressive things and made a lot of very progressive points. But one thing which has been um, troubling me, and I'm, I'm glad you played them two parts, um, Baba Oji. Thank you. Because they were, um, they were bang on point. They, and, mm. and, and you know what Baba Oji says about uh, you're the only one who, uh, well, let me say this. Yeah, that Those two videos that you, you, you played basically demonstrate that you are um, so in tuned with the um, what's with not just what's, what's going on. You're in tune with the ancestors, absolutely in tune. But Marley, in one of his um, records, talks about the natural mystic, and the way I interpret the natural mystic is is um, there's there's a truth uh, which can't be denied. So, so when I used to say that to people, they used to say our truth is so, um, um, objective. Uh-huh. It's not. It's not. It's not. I don't know where. They, I don't know why they used to say that. Yeah. What's, uh, it make no sense. You know what I mean? It's not. The truth is truth, and that that's it. That's you know it. what I mean? There's only one. That's it. You know what I mean? And when you when you're on that frequency, uh, you just you just pick up on things. You know what to play. You know what to do. You know what to say. And it's just that, because th- there's something which I heard on the um, the Carl Nelson show. Some of the um, contributors were saying a few contributors. They were saying that. Uh, uh, I suppose they were saying African Americans or American Africans or Africans in America haven't got um, a dog in the fight. Yeah, and to be honest with you, that, that haven't got a dog in which fight that's happening over in, over in Israel. Yeah, or yeah, in Palestine. Yeah, that's happening in Palestine. Yeah, in, well, yeah, in Palestine. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Go yeah, ahead, finish up. A good few of them were saying, uh, 
all of the, you know, well, what, one of them was pushing it, and that, others were agreeing they ain't got to do it. But I was thinking, when they were saying that, I was thinking, well, if, imagine if you take that literally, yeah, and you imagine your neighbour has a dog, right, which he uses for dog fights, right, but you're paying for that dog. You're paying for the upkeep of that dog. You're paying for his veterinary bills. You're paying just to keep that dog alive. How can you claim you ain't got a dog in a fight? You understand? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you understand? You're, yeah. you're, you're, paying, you're yeah. paying for the whole up for that dog. And if you if you, if you if you didn't if you didn't contribute to that, right, that dog wouldn't probably be able to fight. No. So how it the hell are you gonna claim that you ain't got a dog in a fight? And I you know, and the more I thought about it, I, I didn't realize some uh, well, I didn't realise but I, I knew this already, but it just confirmed in my mind. We are so miseducated, you know, and so bamboozled and hoodwinked. We just seem to not know what time of day it is. They must know how much money is sent from American taxpayer to the, mm -hmm. the, to Israel. They mm -hmm. must know this. I mean, they're not that silly. They know this. But how the hell are you going to claim you ain't got a dog in the fight when you're paying for that That's dog? That's right. You're paying for I it. I say. It's so, it, it blows my mind yeah. that, that, that how we're so confused sometimes. And it, it's almost like we're under hypnosis. Mm -hmm. We're under some hypnosis. Because I know these people know that, that America pays Israel this money. Big and, money. You know, that, they pay Israel and, more money than they give to it. All the African countries combined does well, not even what, touch the amount that they give to to the European Jews. It doesn't touch it. And, and another another thing which I found out, right, um, when I was listening to the piece you played, the brother said, um, he said, um, about the African, the history of the Af African Amer Africans in Palestine, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to say this because I read about um, the, the Phoenicians, yeah, and apparently um, the Phoenicians, uh, apparently they were. You said it, and another elder told me this, and I didn't know it, but he, he said they were um, they were Africans, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I actually done some research on it, and I found some pictures of them, and they came from that region, apparently. They, the, the region you call Palestine, that's where them Phoenicians came from. Mm -hmm. I, I found a whole heap of pictures on the way they dressed and the style and the, what they did and how they became shipfearers um, ship and whatever. But um, a lot that, that is a very... No, look, but, but actually, there's some people over here who are doing some very, very interesting research and it's mind-blowing. I'm telling you, man, so mind-blowing. And it's... It's, I've, I've found certain clues, but I haven't done the work they've, they've done. Like, okay. for instance, um, the black Irish. I mean, when you okay. hear that, yeah, just, yeah. You hear heard that, of it. And so, it sounds so ridiculous. It sounds what black people like, but I tell you, there's some truth in it. Yeah. Um, and not even that, in Scotland, all over Europe, we're mm -hmm. finding black yes. kings. In Germany, England, yes. yes. In, in, yeah. Oh, the angle, the, the, the a, person, a person who's done that kind of great work is Baba Bernoko Rashidi, who passed right. a few years ago. He That's he documented the African presence throughout the world, and particularly in Europe. He has a book on it. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So the, the point I'm making, Baba Ochi, is this, yeah? We, you know, as much as we think we know, we're not even scratching the surface. These people have so lied to us so, so bamboozled us and, and, and just got us in this state of madness, you know, practicing these books and these allegories and this mythology that, you know, a lot of, 
the things we've created, we just don't even have an understanding of what we've done. You, you know, you know, like I, I you know, like I heard, I heard that part. You know, he said came from Nigeria or whatever, and I and I thought in my mind, I'd done that research, you know, because I hear these things and I go and look for it, and I found it. The the, the they were and these these are European authors who are talking about these Phoenicians who were Africans who lived in them areas. No, not the biblical talk we talk. These, this is the real history. Mm-hmm. You understand? These right. Phoenicians were, you know, and nobody knows this. So they like to give us the idea. And in India, again, like, oh, we came through slavery and all the rest of it. And it's not true. You know what I mean? We were there. Every part of this earth, we were there. Not like Europeans dominating and killing people and whatever. We were there educating or advocating mm-hmm. people. We were there raising people up, giving them culture, telling them how to overstand time right. and the sun and True. the seasons. That's how we work. You understand? And mm-hmm. they've tried to, and they know this, you know, they absolutely know this. You talk about the Twats who are the pygmies, how they right. traveled right around the world. And it's a French, it's a Frenchman who sat with them for 20 years who got all this information out of them. They walked around, even Finland, the European country Finland is named after the Twa people. You understand? The little, the, the, the Twats. Diminutive, diminutive Africoids, as they were once called, the, or the pygmies. Absolutely. Yeah, the original Absolutely. people. So, so there's so much information out there still. We are just skimming the surface of it. And, you know, like I, I go back to what I say again, that, that information is definitely necessary at this time because they have tied us into this fight and, and, and by taking our money and supporting these countries. Yeah. And there is a relationship between those people in Israel. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu was trying to get on the African Union right. as, a, as, a, uh, as an observer. They, they tried to put those right. people in Uganda. In the, it's Uganda where they wanted to put right. them at first. Right. Who we say right to this? Imagine they was in Uganda now. They would have been killing all their neighbors, Africans, right there. Yeah. You know. To expand know. and take they all the resources to... and dominate control. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But they're doing they are doing that, Baba. Mm-hmm. Don't think they're not doing that. The first, the first diamond mine. You talk about diamonds, yeah. The first diamond factory was built by the Rothschilds yeah. long before Israel was created. It was built yes. in Palestine. Palestine, yes. Palestine. And where were the diamonds coming from? They were coming South from Africa. the Congo. The Congo, yeah, the South Congo. Africa, yes. Yeah. Right. So w- people who say that they they just don't understand what's going on. And it's, it's still happening to this day. It's mm-hmm. still happening to this day. It's still taking the so, role. So, so these people, these yeah. European Jews who have, who are not Semitic people, so the, the, so the, 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 the line, they're being anti-Semitic, does not apply to them because they're not Semitic people. In fact, the people who they are dogging out, they are Semitics. Okay? The Palestinians are Semitic people. So those European Jews are being anti-Semitic in their behavior and what they have done to these people, you know. But even deeper is that how they control everything. These European Jews, I, you know, to me, at this stage of the game, there should be no fear. Say it for what it is, and I know a lot of our people, particularly in this country, because we have been trained to support Israel unconditionally. To support Israel unconditionally. When the shit went down, the first thing everybody out their mouths, well, we support Israel's right to exist and we support them unconditionally. Well, I just explained, and, and I've already known how Israel was created. 
how, you know, I'm hip to the Belfort Declaration, uh, uh, Herzl, you know, Theodore Herzl. I'm hip to David Ben-Gurion. I remember with David Ben-Gurion, oh, Benachem Begin. He's the one that, that killed the British at that hotel, blew up the hotel. Wow. You know? Wow. So I'm saying, yeah. you know, you know, the European Jews, they, they have an agenda and, and, and that agenda is to, uh, control, and they're going to do it. You know, you know what, Baba Ochi, You know, they say you haven't got a dog. How misleading is that? You know, um, we we know the talk about the the the, the three dancing Jews, right? When the nine eleven happened, yeah, there, there were three apparently three Mossad agencies were oversaw um, the bombing of the tower. Yeah, you know about mm-hmm. that, don't you? Mm-hmm. They, they they had the van and and certain surveillance equipment was found in the van. And all the rest of it, yeah. Um, um, that, that we, and they were, uh, they couldn't keep them in America. They, they, they somehow got back to Israel, right? Now, what a lot of people don't know, since slightly after that, we had a few bombings in London. They were train bombings, right? Now, hear the joke about them. Every, uh, each one of them, there were, I think, three. Now, each one of them, before it actually happened on the tube, there was training exercises. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Next, next day there was a terrorist attack. Now I don't know. That's I mean that that is ludicrous. But on on the first one, you know Benjamin Netanyahu was actually here, and he was half a mile down the road from where it happened on the first one. Are you telling me that's all a coincidence? That ain't no coincidence, man. These people set these things up. Yeah. Right. Because the whole objective was that was to go into Iran. Um, right, to gain Iran. favor. That's why I'm saying this situation that they're talking about that happened, supposedly where the European Jews who are in Palestine, now calling it Israel, could who are, who are the most technologically, I mean, they're, they're looking at things everywhere, could have possibly fell asleep, you know, or ignored what could happen and allow the Palestinians to go in and slaughter 1,400 uh, uh, Israelis and do all the damage that they did. Why? They allowed it to happen. Why? So they could kill the Palestinians and eradicate them and get them out of Israel totally. So there's no more Palestinians. There is no more Palestinian state. It is Israel, parent point blank. That's it. They, they reduce the Gaza Strip and probably even the, the West Bank to rubble, clean it all out, dig it all out, and build new condos and new kibbutz and all that kind of shit. That's the bottom line. And the world, and the world will be in favor of it. Because why? Because they control the media. The world will be in favor of it. Our sister said, and I'll go back to it again, because it was profound. She said it was, it's the same playbook. And that is the absolute, absolute truth. There's nothing complicated about this. There's nothing that you need some sort of um, high qualification to understand this. It's the same playbook that they have borrowed, not just from them, they've borrowed. Even when in the so-called founder fathers, you know, when these people established America, it's the same playbook. Kill out the indigenous people, murder them, trick them, um, you you know, and and then pretend that it, you have a right to do it right. under some religious right or some nonsense. And this is the same playbook that's being played out again. It's absolutely right, Baba. I'll leave it there, but yeah. it's absolutely on point. 
All right. Let me let me get one more caller. Our time is almost up. Let me get brother Ted Lust. Thank you, my brother. How you doing, man? Good morning, Bubba. I, I have to jump on and jump off and jump back on. Hey, again, I know. But, uh, the price of being at work, you got to do that, man. You at work, got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just wanted to listen in uh, for today. And I think Brother Irv uh, touched on um, the uh, conference this weekend a little bit. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to, to hear, yeah. uh, what was his experiences. But as always, we'll tune in and uh, stay in touch. Well, thank you, man. And thank you for what you sent, man. And, uh, uh, from Al Jazeera, that was a good piece on the history of how Israel was created, you know, how they took Very. that land from the Palestinians and continue to do so until now. At this moment, they're about to eradicate them. They're yep. about to eliminate them, yep. period. There'll be no more Palestine. And the world will watch. Very it. good. We're watching. Thanks a lot, dear brother. Appreciate you. Until next time. Uh, peace, right. brother. Peace. peace. Right. Yeah. So. We only got a couple more minutes. I, I thank Brother Paul and, of course, Brother Irv and Brother Lust and all the others who call in and who some don't call in. They just listen. I appreciate that. I was surprised to find out how many people are listening. Brother Kwaku helped me uh, see those numbers, and I was surprised and uh, appreciate that family, you know, because this program, you know, um, unlike other programs, I made a decision many, many, many years ago. This is what we're going to talk about. You know, we're going to talk about independence, self-determination, liberation, and sovereignty for African people. We're going to talk about how things affect us as a people, how they affect us on the continent, how they affect us in the diaspora, things that are happening to us as a people uh, around the world that, are, that is adverse people, how we're getting dogged out here, there, and everywhere. We're going to talk about that. And how more importantly, though, we could come together and solve the, all these problems through our collective effort, through developing the kind of functional unity that we need to have as a people to be able to control land, control resources, being a player in the world instead of the pawns that we have become because of our divisions, because of our lack of cohesiveness and trust and, and respect and willingness to work together. We've got to change all of that, family. That has, to, that has to end. We have to change all of that. And we will. I'm, I firmly believe it, and we will. But we also got to acknowledge and we also got to expose all the things that prevent that from happening. We can't constantly believe that we are our own, we are our own worst enemy. No, we're not. No, we're not. There's, we have enemies. There's no doubt about it. We have enemies. And those enemies, many of them we see every day. To me, anybody that is doing something you, excuse me, doing something to you to cause you not to believe in yourself, that causes you to distrust one another, to hate one another, that's an enemy. That is an enemy. And we have many. Because one of the things that this planet fears, and Chuck D and them said it best, fear of a black planet, that us coming together 
fear of a black planet. And that's what we must do. Brothers and sisters, I thank you. We're going to talk about what's happening on the continent on Wednesday. I'm going to try to get uh, Brother Apollo and Brother Moses West here on uh, Friday, if that's possible. But you never know. We'll, you know we're going to talk about something, that's for sure. And you know that. So we end this program like we end all of our programs with the words of Stephen Biko. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the minds of the oppressed. This program is dedicated and committed every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern to put something on your mind. That's right. To put something on your mind. And so, We want to say that uh, you have a blessed and wonderful day. Shem Hotep means go in peace. Asante Sana means thank you. Bibi Fahadier. Bibi Fahadier means our victorious destiny. Brothers and sisters, we will be victorious. So thank you for listening. Hope to see you on Wednesday. Peace, family.